Heavenly Father, thank you for Tim. Thank you for the message that you've laid on his heart uh, while he was away on sabbatical for us about pilgrimage, a heart set on pilgrimage. We pray that you would help him now, Lord, to just speak clearly, Lord, not through his own strength, but through your strength. Help us to listen. Help us to focus. Help us to hear you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, thank you. Great. Good to, good to see you guys again. Um, saw some of you last week. If you haven't um, had a chance, I think we've put it up, or we're just about to put it up on the web last week's talk. First one on pilgrimage. Um, I showed a couple of videos that I had made. One of the things I did on sabbatical three months, like the first month I was in um, Scotland primarily, up on the borders around Melrose doing a St. Cuthbert's walk, which is about a 70-mile walk across the Holy Island. Went on a kind of a pilgrimage. It was amazing, beautiful, stunning. Uh, scenery, and then uh, and then I spent a, another week on one of the kind of inner Hebride Islands, kind of like in this little pod, just myself on a sort of silent retreat, uh, which was and didn't walk because <laughs> I ate, but I had an amazing time there, just kind of wandering around locally on that island and uh, sensing God's kind of words in that place. So that was a really really special time. So um, I, I'll be showing later on at the end of the talk another video that I made with some. I was inspired by some songs that Mary had given me before I went away, and uh, the, the words from that are in, in this video. Some scenes, I think they're all, the scenes on this one are all from Holy Island, filming around there, uh, that I filmed when I was there. So that'll be later on, something to look forward to. So if you can keep awake till then, that'll, that'll be your reward. So well done. Um, so um, uh, pretty much a month on pilgrimage. Uh, and then we went to America, I went to Chicago for two weeks, uh, flew there to meet with some church leaders and some kind of guys there, and saw some amazing things and took some time out there, uh, lived with a church leader there as well, which was just great, and his family. And then my family flew out, and I flew from Chicago up to Seattle, and we went all the way down the West Coast, Route 101, if some of you know that, up through, down through um, the Olympic National Park, and then down through great places like Eureka, and other great names, and Astoria, and then went across to Yosemite National Park, and then back out Redwood National Forest. We saw incredible things. And we went on a different kind of pilgrimage then. We went uh, on pilgrimage to Disneyland in Los Angeles, uh, which for my children was like a pilgrimage. It was like a 3,000-mile pilgrimage from Seattle to Disneyland. I mean, my oldest daughter's 22, and then Sam is 19, and Joe's 15. And for three of them, you know, they're, they're where they wanted to go on pilgrimage was, Dad, we've got to go to Disneyland, like the original one, not the fake French one, not even the slightly more modern Florida one, but the original Disneyland. So we did that. Um, which was actually really fun. <laughs> we had a great time there. But I want to talk about pilgrimage. I felt inspired to speak about pilgrimage. And the sense of journey and the things that I felt God saying to me through this season, some significant things, some important things. Um, I'll be sharing more about that next week as well. And um, Andrew's preaching next week. I'm leading worship. And that's next Sunday night. So do come along. It's going to be an important one. Lots of things to share and reflections. And hear brilliant Andrew. Pilgrimage. I wonder what you think about when you when you think of pilgrimage. There's, I love words. I studied um, languages as long as uh, along with the Lord, yeah, did French and Spanish, and I've always loved um, I've always loved la words and their origins. So here's a word for you. I don't know if you've heard of this word. I discovered it literally just before I went on sabbatical, and I thought I'm going to keep that. That's a clicker. Codywampus. Have you heard of that word? It's a great word. Codywampus. Shall I tell you what it means? Codywampus is to travel in a purposeful manner towards a vague destination. I, <laughs> I read that and I thought, that sounds a bit like lot se sections of my life, traveling purposefully, but not really having a clue where I'm going. 
I would say lots of Christians feel quite a lot like that. Um, Travelling purposefully, in a purposeful manner, towards a vague destination. And you know what? Maybe that's not a bad way to live our lives. The truth is often, and sadly for us as Christians, sometimes we travel vaguely in a vague destination. Do you know, we kind of wander and ramble and sit down and get a bit... But I don't think that's how it's supposed to be. We don't always know super clearly where we're going. I mean, I think we know the destination, like we're going to heaven, right? But that's not what the Christian journey is supposed to be, just kind of this, oh, I know one day I'm going to get to heaven. I think God has more for us on earth, his kingdom coming now. With an assurity, yes, we're going to heaven. That's our hope. That's the glory and the wonder of meeting Jesus face to face. So we do know, we do have a definite destination we're heading towards. But through life, sometimes we don't know what's coming ahead in the years ahead. Maybe that if you're at the end of a doing a degree or you're in a time of transition with work or you know, you're at school and you look ahead and you think, well, I kind of vaguely know where God may be calling me, but I'm not 100% sure. Sometimes that can mean, because we're not 100% certain because God hasn't painted it across the skies, sometimes we get a bit despondent or we kind of wander a bit or we, we, st- or we start looking back over our shoulder thinking maybe I've got regrets, maybe I should go back to Egypt. But God's saying, no, I want you to be able to travel purposefully with a sense of purpose. You may not know completely the definite direction in this life, in this season, but God says, I want you to walk purposefully. The danger is we can meander and we can become dissatisfied in our spiritual walk. So whilst I was hiking, (laughs) particularly across the borders, which if you haven't been up there, is just stunningly, achingly beautiful, I decided I was going to travel with real purpose. I had a very heavy rucksack because I had a lot of filming equipment and a drone and lots of other stuff, plus all the stuff I needed to carry each day. And, uh, and you know, it's, you get weighed down by literally this three-stone pack. But I decided that wherever I was walking, I was going to be walking with purpose. I did know where I was going. At least at the end of each day, I knew where I was supposed to end up. I really needed to end up there, otherwise I'd be sleeping under a hedge. So I did need to do that. But I decided I want to walk with purpose. And my purpose was, Lord, I want to listen to you. I want to speak to you. I want to share this walk with you so that this isn't just a walk, but it's a sense of journeying with God. I mentioned I walked St. Cuthbert's Way. Really beautiful. Fantastic story. I won't get into it now with St. Cuthbert and the the monasteries that were set up and Lindisfarne, this incredible and holy island if you've ever been there. It gave me lots of time for thinking, lots of time to reflect, lots of time to ask questions. I have to be honest, when you're walking and you're exhausted, it's quite hard to actively listen. But I decided that I wasn't going to listen to loads of music. I had bought my headphones and I thought I'd loaded up my my iPhone with loads of songs. But I thought, do you know what? I'm actually not going to just fill my head with noise. I I said last week, I switched off from the news. I decided not to, you know, I cut all emails off. I wasn't going to answer any phone. I actually changed my phone so that people couldn't ring me. So if you tried to ring me, sorry. Um... And I chose to create space and silence so that God could fill that space. And I had lots of questions. Questions of, Lord, how am I doing this? Lord, where am I going? <laughs> I mean, sometimes literally on the walk when I got lost, Lord, where am I going? Please help me. But more generally, life, wh- where am I going, Lord? Where are you leading me? Where are you leading us? Where are you leading your church in the city? And how can I learn to love you more and love people more? Can you help me with that? Some of you here I know are keen walkers. Walking for an average 30 minutes or more a day can lower your risk of heart disease by f- or stroke by 
hospital, isn't it? It can reduce type 2 diabetes by 40%. So walking is good for you. Every year, if you've got an old car over three years old, you know you have to have an MOT and you kind of give it a service. You, you go through a checklist to check that the car's okay and what needs to be fixed is fixed. Walking is good for the heart. I just told you some of those statistics. But I, dis I thought, actually, on this pilgrimage, I want this walk to be a bit like a workout for my heart. Physically, yes, but more important, spiritually, I wanted it to be a bit of an MOT, checkup. Lord, what's wrong with my heart? Where are, there, where are there faults? Where is there not enough love? Where am I broken? Where am I still in place of need of healing? Are there areas of unforgiveness where I've not yielded all of the, my heart to your heart? I wanted it to be a checkup for my heart, for my heart to be assessed before God as I was walking. I think that's what pilgrimage is supposed to be on a day-to-day -day basis. And in light of that, we're going to hear Psalm 84. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Psalm 84. And Ian is beautifully going to read Psalm 84 for us now. Thanks, Ian. So Psalm 84, which is headed to the director of music, according to Gitith of the sons of Kerar, of Kerar. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer. O Lord God Almighty, listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon your shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Thanks be to God for his word. Be seated. It's a really familiar passage, isn't it? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Um, th this psalm is often referred to as a psalm of pilgrimage. Uh, and every year, it's helpful to think about the context, because every year, crowds, thousands, will flock to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, journeying from every part of Israel, from all over the nation, traveling on pilgrimage um, to kind of make this pilgrimage to the holy, holy city, to the temple. And this psalm is probably writing about this experience. The psalmist is referring to his own journey. And pilgrimage... 
would suggest is, is woven into the very roots of Christianity. It's woven into the roots of our faith. Right from Abraham, who was the first pilgrim. Genesis 12, you can read about it. God says to Abram, who God later will call Abraham, you know the story perhaps, um, to leave his house and journey to a land unknown. He says this, leave your country and your kindred and your father's house and go on a journey to a foreign land. To go with purpose, not exactly sure where he was going, but he was stepping out. Because God had called him. He was being obedient. He didn't know the exact destination. God, God, God didn't show him on a Google map exactly where he was going to go through and they're going to end up here. And He just said, go. Leave everything behind and go. And I'm going to take you there. Go. So Abraham becomes nomadic. He pitches a tent e each night, a bit like me, except I was in Airbnb, so that was a little bit more civilized when I was on my pilgrimage. Because um, <laughs> I didn't fancy carrying a tent as well as all the other freestone stuff I had. And I thought, and I'm really glad, because at the end of each night, when I got to my destination and literally died and collapsed on the bed, I just thought, Jesus, thank you, I don't have to pitch a tent now and crawl into it and cry myself to sleep. Um, <laughs> so God's kind, and he enabled me to do that. But he goes and he pitches a tent, and the next morning he takes up the tent pegs and moves again, because God leads him on. This nomadic kind of call. And this Abrahamic spirit, this willingness to to go and to go and to go according to God's will and God's word, I think is, is supposed to be a fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian, to be listening to the Father and journeying with him. It's a part of who we are. We're called to be a, a, a pilgrim people, and we're always supposed to be. It was there right from the beginning of, 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 of Scripture. The narrative, you know, then continues in Exodus, which is essentially a 40-year pilgrimage. I thank God he didn't call me on that. People, uh, we know God's people are enslaved in Egypt, abused by Pharaoh, and God raises up Moses to bring them out of Egypt, and then Moses leads them on this epic journey across the desert to the promised land. And then you think about the Gospels. Think of Jesus as he called the disciples to himself. What does he say to them? Follow me. Leave your nets, leave your family, and just follow me. He calls them into the unknown, this, this journey of unknown, but knowing the one thing that was known is that Jesus is there. And you're responding to him and you're going to him, being obedient to him. And we know he's a good, good father, right? He's a good God. He saw Simon and Andrew casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen, which kind of makes sense. It's perfectly talk about in the Bible there. And Jesus said, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's in Mark 1. What about the rich young man? He called the rich young man and said, sell everything that you have and follow me. He saw a tax collector called Levi and said to him, follow me. And he got up and left everything and followed him. And that's Matthew 19 with the rich young man and, and Luke 5, Levi. He got up, left everything and followed. There's this kind of responding to the voice of Jesus and something catches in the heart and, and leaving behind and going. And it's kind of, it only really works if you're captivated by Jesus. Otherwise, it's this religious heavy duty. You think, mm, I'm not sure I want to do that. But there is a challenge. Jesus is uncompromising command to leave everything, to follow Jesus. And that inspired people back in the monastic period, like St. Cuthbert. Actually, a lot of the kind of early kind of heroes of the faith that set up monasteries, a lot of them were from very wealthy backgrounds. You can read about this, you'll know about some of them, who left their family inheritance, their money, their title, their position to kind of live a tough lifestyle and literally to journey across nations, people who came across 
spreading the gospel to this country. The fact that we're here today is because a few of those missionary pilgrims who left to come here and obey the call of God to go and share the good news and set up houses of prayer and places of healing and hope. People like St. Cuthbert, the early desert fathers and mothers who left all their property and wealth behind to set up monastic communities, places of prayer. You know, we often think of them as stuffy religious places, but we need to understand these are places of life and healing and hope and strength and prayer and reflection and meditation. Something very powerful. And you go to those places, like on Holy Island, and whatever we think of, we know religion can be deadly and awful, and, and it often got corrupted into something about power and wealth and control. But in its roots, in its heart, St. Cuthbert was an evangelist. He would go with signs and wonders and pray for people in these remote places. And you go to Holy Island, you feel something in the soil, in the land, prayer. It's just such a still place for centuries and centuries, people have prayed. Now, we are not all called. <laughs> I'm not going to put a bowl in the front and ask you to come put your, ca your, how your car keys and your house keys and your mortgage deeds and in here and then go off and live in a field under a tree. You know, most of us are not called to live that kind of monastic life where we renounce everything and give it away to the poor but maybe we need to do that in our hearts where those things hold us so tightly we we need to actually hold things with an open hand trusting that God's the God who provides and gives all good things and ultimately everything belongs to God rather than to us and there's a freedom in releasing stuff to his to his kingdom and his purpose but we we do let go of the things that sometimes hold us and sometimes we need to let go of the familiar Sometimes we hold on to things in the past that stop us moving forward. And we can stagnate in our faith, particularly if we've been a Christian for a while. Sometimes we stop striding forward purposely and we just get stuck and we settle. And then Christianity and church and all of that world faith just becomes a bit flat. Well, for the psalmist in Psalm 84, this pilgrimage that he's going on is both an external journey, a literal journey to the temple to worship. But it's quite clearly also an internal journey. And so for us, we need to recognize that our, our pilgrimage through life is very much an internal journey. Psalm 84 speaks of this, uh, examining the heart. As I said at the beginning, my journey on physical pilgrimage was actually saying, Lord, as I walk, I want you to look at my heart and I want to offer you my heart in all its brokenness and frailties in order that I might follow you more effectively. So it's good to ask some questions. So I'm just going to very briefly whiz through Psalm 84, just two or three, th three or four, five or six, nine, nine or ten, just four things, questions that we can ask ourselves. And I'm not going to give you the answers. This is questions you can ask yourself of the Lord and reflect on. The psalmist speaks of by, uh, by dwelling, the dwelling places of God as the object of his desire, doesn't he? Psalm verses one to four. His soul longed and yearned to be in the presence of God. We sung that song, my heart and flesh cry out for you, the living God. We, I'm sure we've all experienced, I hope you have, that yearning to be close to God. Maybe that's something you experienced a long time ago. And maybe for you, your Christian walk's just become about duty and obligation. But the psalmist is saying, no, our, our, my heart yearns for you, Lord. I want to go back to those days of feeling close to you. Maybe some of you feel a little bit like that. And his joy in the Lord, therefore, is expressed through worship. And that's where I want to be. I want to be in your presence. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That is really true, by the way. It's not just a nice thing we say in the Bible. I'm telling you, if you experience, I mean, I have to be honest, one minute in God's presence 
was better than a thousand days elsewhere. If you've really experienced the presence of God in a moment, and it's not about weeping or falling over. It's not just about those things. It's about really experiencing the love of God and the presence of God. If you experience that, you know that that is the greatest thing. There is nothing that compares to it. So the question is, is God always the primary object of your desire, my desire, my longing? Or are there other things that crowd in and shout louder, pulling our attention, pulling our desire? And we know, you know, this is nothing new, is it? There's stuff in the world, maybe relationships, maybe our own brokenness, we shout louder and, and we, we desire things above Jesus. Luke 12, 34, where your heart is, there also your treasure will be. And so it's a really good MOT question to ask, Lord, Lord is, have you got my heart first and foremost? Jesus, are you on the throne of my life, or is it my job, or is it my money, or is it my position in society, or is it my future job prospects? What's the first thing in your heart, the true center of your adoration, the object of your longing and desire? For the psalmist, it was the Lord. For us, it needs to be Jesus. Is God the primary object of your desire? I mean, we know the answer to that is yes, or at least it's supposed to be. But it's a really good verse. But is it really? Is it really today? Is it right now? I mean, hopefully you're in a church service and you're like, yeah, absolutely. But what about on Monday morning when you wake up and you think, oh, I've got to get at work. <laughs> Psalm 84, verse 3, speaks of the safety, the tender care that's found in God's presence. And the truth is, and I hope we all know this. We can come to God. He is the shepherd. We can come to him in our weakness, in our vulnerability, just as the sparrow does with the young. There's that beautiful image of the, even the sparrow has found refuge. That, that nurturing, like Psalm 91, isn't it, about the, the mother hen covering you with the feathers, that nurturing, caring heart of God. Do you know God is in that way? Do you know the, the covering of the father who's like a mother hen described in a feminine word there in that psalm? with a kind of nurturing, loving covering. Do you know God in that way? Jesus said, come to me, all who you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Matthew 11. I'll give you rest. So I wonder, do you turn to God when you feel super weak? When you feel vulnerable or fragile? I mean, again, we know the answer to that is, yeah, yeah, I think I do. But I had to ask some questions in my life. But where else do I look when I feel vulnerable or weak or fragile? Sometimes I can distract myself with a good Netflix box set that I'll binge watch. Or I can distract myself in a book. I mean, nothing wrong in those things. But if they're primary, my first aid. And for some people, it's a bottle of wine. I know when I, was a, uh, I did primary school teaching in about 1,000 years ago, I worked with a load of young teachers who were brilliant. Kind of really tough, gritty area of Bristol for a couple of years, and we would chat about, you know, how they coped because life was quite stressful in every sphere of life, and in teaching it is. And most of them say, "Oh yeah, I went home and had a glass of wine last night." Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Their first go-to when they got home was open the fridge, get a pour a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with wine, but does that become the thing that gets us through? Is that where we find our comfort? Is that where we find our solace? Because the truth is, it won't really. The psalmist knew that the place to go to in our vulnerability, our weakness, our 
tiredness, our fatigue, is to go to the Lord. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary. I will give you rest. So where do you turn when the pressure's on? Psalm 84 goes on to say, verse 4 and 5, How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're forever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. So the, the psalmist is saying, my heart, I have set my heart on pilgrimage. Not just my feet going to the temple, but I've chosen daily to let my heart be open to you, Father, so you can speak into it. So we can rejoice in the good things that are in my heart, that you've healed and redeemed and strengthened the, the qualities that you've put in me that bring blessing to others, but also where there's fractures and brokenness and pain. I want that to journey closer with you, Jesus. Because if pilgrimage is a walk with God, then we're making our heart vulnerable by allowing God to speak into it. And he draws strength from God. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman whose strength is in you. Not in ourselves, not in our wisdom, not in our resources, not in our history, not in our spiritual history, but actually whose strength is now, right now in you. Because that's a heart that's set on pilgrimage. It's like when, you, when you're doing training, when you're kind of like, my, my boys particularly, they're doing loads of kind of circuit training and, and they're like really buff now, which is terrifying. Um, really terrifying. I asked Sam now to lift anything heavy in our house. Uh, <laughs> but that only happens through work out. You're working out every day. Every day you're training your body. I think if we continually pursue God, we begin to get our strength from him. And he strengthens us in times that are difficult and challenging. When everything gets shaken, if we're constantly in a daily way walking with the Lord, yielding our heart to him, asking for his grace, asking for his strength, asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us, we begin to train our mind and our heart to be focused on him. And his strength begins to come through. That's a heart that's set on pilgrimage. But did you notice immediately after he says, he immediately makes mention of the Valley of Baca, which in, in Hebrew means that it's, it's, it's like a place of weeping. And he doesn't say if you pass through the Valley of Baca. He says when you pass through the Valley of Baca. Many of us here know what it is to go through a valley of real challenge or pain or weeping or darkness. And we all face di difficult times. Many of us have gone through that in all sorts of different ways. But the psalm is saying, don't lose heart. Don't let your heart become hardened in those times. You will go through it. But God is able to do something even in those places. And sometimes, specifically because you're in those places. Because that's where you see the miracle happen. Genesis 15.1. God speaking to Abram says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's a great word great verse he says i'm your reward i'm the thing that you can look forward to the prize that's worth continuing for and i'm able to do something in the valleys that will be remarkable that's miraculous had the privilege of going to um reading in california when we were driving through the millions of thousands of miles we drove and we, we went into red uh, to bethel church the day we on the sunday we were there i mean it was quite warm yesterday i was in london helping ellie unload for her next her ma in london all the furniture and it was dirty something sticky and horrible but in Reading, I was telling you guys earlier, in Reading, uh, at Bethel Church that morning, it was 47 degrees. That's quite warm. That air conditioning is glorious. It's actually cold in the church. It's ironic, isn't it? This is the, in the first time in 10 years I've been in this church and felt hot and sweaty. 
It's taken that long for this church to get warm. But out there, it was incredible. It was actually cold being back here. But Bill Johnson was speaking that day. And he was speaking about the power of, I, I thought he was on holiday, but he was there. He was speaking about the power of thankfulness. And he, he gave quite a helpful illustration that I really loved. You know, there was that program, I think it was called Can't Cook, Can't Cook, Won't Cook, something like that. Or there was a cooking competition where the chef would be presented with a bag of, they didn't know what they were going to get, and then they had to cook something beautiful with it. And often what would come out the bag, there'd be a load of nice things, but there'd be one thing in there that was really random and really disgusting. And you'd look at it and think, how on earth can, can you turn that into something that's horrible? But see, the master chef is able to take all sorts of things, even seemingly the most awful ingredients, but produce something spectacular. Well, it isn't just okay, but it's beyond your wildest imagination. Because a master chef can do that. And we have a God who's able to take all the ingredients of life, even the Valley of Baca, and sometimes especially the Valley of Baca, and turn it from a place of weeping to a place of glorious wonder and restoration and rejuvenation. And there the wonder happens, and then we see God and go, wow. None of us want to go through the Valley of Baca. But I don't want to avoid the Valley of Baca if it means I miss out on the miracles of God and the wonders that he's able to do. Taking the recipes of life, the difficult things, and making something wonderful. The Valley of Baca makes it into a spring. We don't need to be afraid. That's what, Abra that's what Abraham was told by God. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. I'll cover you, even in the difficult times. You're exceeding I am your exceedingly great reward. Keep your eyes fixed on me. <coughs> Turns it into a valley with blessings. That's what God is able to do. We have to choose to focus on God. There's a passage I love. We haven't got time to look at it, but David, King David did this at a place called Ziglag. Ziklag. You might remember the story. In 1 Samuel 30, it's all gone horribly pear-shaped for David, basically. All his people, all his, you know, he was the hero. He was the Goliath killer, the giant slayer. He was the wonderful king. But in this particular story, it all starts going wrong. Not particularly because of David's fault, but it all goes wrong. It's amazing how quickly a crowd can turn on you. I'm aware of that as a church leader. <laughs> And the crowds start going crazy. It says this in verse 6. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. I mean, it hasn't ever got quite that bad for me. Although, you know, I'm aware, you know, things can change quickly. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But it says this. And in that moment, when everyone turns against you, what do you do? Where do you go? Well, you can run. You can hide. You can brave it out. You can bluff and fluster. You know, like politicians do, you can make excuses, you can try and win the crowd back over, you can, but what does David do? It just says, but David strengthened, strengthened himself in the Lord. In that moment of conflict, challenge, where it's all going wrong, he says, I need to find God in this. I need to find God's strength. And he goes and pray, prayer, he uses prayer, praise, thanksgiving. He, he thanks God for God's goodness. He holds on to the goodness of God and dares to trust him for a future. That's what Bill Johnson was talking about. Thanking God, even for the kind of lemons that get thrown at you. You know, you can make them into lemonade, can't you? But the things that get thrown at us that we don't like, somehow in the mystery of who God is, when we thank God for his goodness and we trust him, he's able in our heart to do something beautiful and in our circumstances. Isaiah 40 27 to 31, that passage we know so well. Those who hope in the Lord 
we're in New Westgate. That's why we need to go. A heart set on pilgrimage looks back to God and his goodness. And God brings rain and refreshment and rejuvenation. Not just for you, but it's visible to everyone around. And the whole valley gets rejuvenated. It's glorious. It's unprovisioned. So where do you find your strength? Are you like David? Do you go to the Lord? I usually do, but I've recognized I don't always. Sometimes I've gone to other places. And particularly, regardless of the circumstances, do I choose to trust God and honor him and thank him and worship him? And then the psalmist finishes by reflecting on the wisdom of remaining close with God and walking in step with him. Verse 11, he says this, No good thing does God withhold from those whose walk is blameless. I was reminded when I read that of Amos 3.3, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Um, it's really interesting with body language, isn't it? We <laughs> I'm a bit of a people watcher. And d- Ellie, my oldest daughter, she's 22, she's a real people watcher. I'm sure, I mean, some of them may be. But she's a real people watcher. And when we, in America, I mean, in America, there's lots of fascinating people to watch, right? I mean, God bless America. Um, but I understand why you live in this country now. Um, <laughs> I saw the best of things in America. And the worst of things. I mean, having been there for six weeks, I won't pretend to understand the whole of American culture. But after living in it, it was fascinating. People kept telling us everywhere, wow, you've seen more of America in the weeks you've been here than we've seen in our whole lives. Because people don't travel lots outside their own house, car, drive through banks, drive through pharmacies, drive through everything. But I saw the best of things, this kind of, a willingness to press out. They're pioneers in America. You know, they're, they're entrepreneurs and they encourage each other and they cheer each other on and there's not the backbiting and the, oh, I see you've got a new car. Oh, I wonder who got that money. There's more of a, wow, buddy, you've got a new car. That's fantastic. There's this kind of celebration of life and optimism and hope and I love that. And then there's Trump. And uh, there's a whole weird realm of politics and religion mixed into it, and guns mixed into it. I mean, you just don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, really, you don't talk about guns, and then you're fine. There's a load of things that are glorious, there's a load of things that are just just so weird. Why was I saying that? (laughs) But walking with God day by day, we're able to yield all the parts of our lives to God. Walking in step with him, I know why I was saying it. Why do two walk together unless they've, achieved, they've agreed to do so? When we were in America, Ellie and I were watching people, and there's lots of really interesting people to watch in America, like everywhere. Um, and there was a couple at a table. And you know when you see someone's body language? Like, they're there because they've got to be there for whatever reason. But it was painful to watch them when they came in, when they sat down, when they ate. We were having lots of noise and fun as a family. And this couple, you can see the body language. They really didn't want to be there. I don't know if they just had an argument just split up, whether one was a Democrat, one was a Republican, I have no idea what was going on. But you could see they didn't want to be there. Do two walk walk together unless they've chosen to do so? Sometimes we walk with God out of obligation or habit or, but you know, God is reaching out saying, I want to walk closely with you, but we sometimes hold him at a distance. God is saying, I want you to walk with me day by day in an increasing level of committedness and uh, relational connection. So I wonder, how closely am I daily walking with the Lord? When I was on my sabbatical hike, I kept saying, Lord, how do I walk with you closer? 
how do I listen to you more obediently? I need more of a passion for your word. That's one way of getting to know God so much better. I need to be more open to your spirit. I need to be more silent before you and listen more rather than just talking. That's what I was thinking of saying this morning, you know. Walking with God. Deuteronomy 5.33 says, You are to walk in every way that the Lord your God commanded you so that your life may go well for you and so that you will prolong your days in the land that you may possess. You are to walk in every way the Lord has commanded you. I think today here, some of you, as God has told you about how to walk, sometimes that's about your personal inner journey. Sometimes it's about life choices that God's trying to lead you in. He is speaking to you, and he wants you to walk in the way. Jeremiah 6.16, this is a verse that I particularly felt for me and for others. It's a really familiar one. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you'll find rest for your soul. If your soul is disturbed right now, maybe God is asking you to just stand and look. To pause, put your life, stop the busyness of everything and just stop. And look. And ask and listen. Lord, what is your way? What's your way for me right now? in this relationship, in this job, in the circumstances I find myself. Lord, help me to hear. And when you sense God's direction for you, then you need to be obedient and you need to act. God wants to be the good shepherd to lead you and we need to be willing to follow. I'm going to finish uh, with this video and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, it's got some words, some images that hopefully encourage and inspire us. It's a real prayer, actually. It's a, a song of prayer. And the heart of it is, Lord, would you lead me?
Let's pray. Lord, we want to um, give everything to you, all we are, all we have to you now. Lord, not just in this moment, but uh, in every moment of every day as we journey with you through your word. Lord, would you be the one who leads us, lead us by day, lead us by night, through chaos, through beauty, through trials, lead us into truth, lead us back to you. You are the God who leads us, and we never journey alone. You don't leave us as orphans, but you come to us by your spirit. So in these days, those questions about our heart, where we yielded to you, in the silence of this day, and tomorrow, and next week, and every day, would we continually choose to yield to you in your ways so that your kingdom would come to earth as children as sons and daughters of the king lord we set our hearts on pilgrimage we hear your call to follow and we choose to stand up and walk with you help us in this spirit of god we pray